Well, good morning, Fellowship Bible Church. Well, we can do better than that. This is the, the, the group that gets to be fully awake. Good morning, Fellowship Bible Church. There we go. And I want to say good morning to our Fellowship Highcrest family that's watching via live stream. And it's just a joy to be with you this morning. My name is Joe Hishma. Just kidding. My name is Jonathan Sublett, and I'm the lead pastor for the Highcrest Campus of Fellowship Bible Church, and it is an honor to be with um, you this morning. We find ourselves in the ninth week of our series, Living Hope. And so we only have one more week to go in this thing, and so I want to encourage you that if you have missed any of the messages that are a part of this series, that you, would, you can go online or through our app and you can catch up with those messages. Um, you can actually get the messages from both campuses. So I just want to encourage you in that and you can catch up on that. This week we will continue into this letter um, written by Peter to these believers. And so I want to get into it this morning because uh, we have a good ways to go. And so our focal passage for today is 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 8 um, through 10. And I'll be reading from the New Living Translation, as Jeremy said earlier. So it's 2 Peter um, chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, will be where we'll be focusing our time this morning. There you'll find it to say this. But you must not forget this one thing, my dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away as a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. This is God's word. Over my years in ministry, I've had the opportunity to make hospital visits, to lead counseling sessions, and so on for people who were living but had no hope. Yes, I listened to their stories, and, and, and but I often struggle to understand what would cause someone wanting to give up? What would cause someone want to want to call it quits? And then on August 26, 2018, after what seems like a life full of continuous trials, troubles, and brokenness, I sat in my living room while my family played in the basement thinking, I'm tired, I'm done, I just want this to end. How can I cause the pain to stop? In Psalm 1971, the persecuted psalmist said, My suffering was good for me, for it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. Now, I never believed my mom when she said that disciplining me caused her pain just like it caused me. And in the same way, I never uh, believed that troubles, that pain, that brokenness could be a benefit until I sat on the couch thinking about how to end my life. 
It was while I was sitting there that something nudged me and said, uh, open your Bible and read. And, and, and it was in that moment that I opened my Bible and I read Romans 8, 1 through 2, over and over for about an hour until my wife came upstairs. And, and it was immediately she could tell that something was wrong. And it was in that moment that I had just enough strength to utter out, would you help me get some help because I don't have the strength to do it on my own? How many of you know that brokenness can break you? I'm sure that if we polled the crowd anonymously, that, that, that a good amount of us would, would admit that we've had situations in our lives that have caused us to believe that hope was dead. I mean, you've been fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting, and you don't know if your fighting is bringing about any good. And now I'm not here to tell you that reading that scripture changed my circumstances. And I don't believe that that's what the persecuted psalmist in Psalm 119 or Peter in our focal passage for this morning is saying either. But what I do believe that the scriptures do is that they help change our perspective of the brokenness and hurt and pain that we experience in a sin-filled world. Peter wrote this letter close to being crucified upside down. So what Peter didn't have at this stage of life was rosy circumstances. But what we do see is someone who once fled suffering at the crucifixion of Christ is now embracing it. And so now as he writes this letter, as he comes close to the end of his communication with this group of believers who are living as elect exiles in this sin-broken place, he wanted to inform them of three ways that holding on to the promises of God will adjust their perspective as they persevere through the trials of life that accompany following God. Scripture changes our perspective of time. When my wife does my daughter's hair, she allows my baby to choose which hair bowls she'll put in. About two weeks ago, while she was doing my daughter's hair on Saturday, um, like like normal, um, my daughter was picking out hair bowls and she came across a pair of earrings, and, and this pair of earrings are hers, well, sort of. This pair of earrings have a little bit more meaning than the normal pair and the ones that she wears and immediately loses. And so my wife um, hasn't given those to her yet, and so they're hers and not hers all at the same time. And so when she asked Trisha if she could put them on, Trisha told her later. And so 30 seconds later, and 30 seconds after that, for the rest of the night, um, my daughter asked if she could put them on now. Now, my wife was wise in not immediately giving the earrings to my daughter, and, and my daughter was also right in that 30 seconds later was later than when she initially asked. 
the conflict comes uh, in the difference that exists between my wife's perspective of time and my daughter's perspective of time. And, and Peter tells his readers that the same potential conflict exists in our relationship with God as we seek to follow his lead. And let's, let's look at again at verse 8 and what he says there. He says, but, but you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years is like a day. Peter's main point in this verse is not to be a proof text in a old earth versus new earth debate, but, but something that can make or break us while enduring the trials of life and trying to be obedient to God. And, and the reasons that we have conflicts with God over time is the same reasons that the earrings cause a conflict between my wife and my daughter. My wife, what she calls Patience is always seen as slowness by my three-year-old daughter. And if our perspective of time is based solely on our experiences and not God's promises, then we will look at all the injustices that we are bombarded with and surrounded by on a daily basis. And we'll see what we perceive to be an inactive, a lackadaisical, and an apathetic God, which leads us to conclude that God is unjust. And the reason our perspective of the timing of God matters so much to us is because it is closely tied to our perception of what it means for God to be just. Most of us can't stomach hearing our our babies cry when they fall. So how and why could we ever grasp the concept of a loving God who would look upon those in whom he identifies with as his own and see them in pain and hear their cries and not immediately come running to their aid. A God that is capable of acting in that manner just can't be just. Could a God that that sees injustice, that has it in his ability to rectify the situation and not move against that injustice that I'm experiencing be trusted? Well, if us in this room and and Peter's readers were, were all going according to their logical conclusions, then the answer would be, No. And if God is unjust and can't be trusted, why would I ever want to serve a God like that? But Peter's words was was as you deal with trials and as life gets heavy and as your patience wears thin and as injustices pile high and as you feel your grip start to weaken, remember that, yes, your concerns are valid and, yes, your emotions are real and, yes, your hurts are not to be dismissed and, yes, he cares for you and, yes, God has proven himself on this timing thing before. So where do we find it? Well, in this word, he says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came and at just the right time and die for us. So let's not get tired of doing what is good at just the right time. We'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith, because for at just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only almighty God, the king of all king and the Lord of all lords. But adjusting our perspective of time is just is only part of our perspective problem that causes us to want to give up. Scripture changes our perspective of the goal. 
Scripture changes our perspective of the goal. In our limited experience and perspective, things can be both sweet and sour. They can be both hard and chewy. And the older you get, they can be both icy and hot. (laughs) But what we rarely see is, is something that is both bending and straight at the same time. And that is the point that Peter is making as he places verse 9 right after verse 8. And in verse 8, Peter addresses uh, our problem with seeing injustice, with being in pain and doing suffering and not feeling like God is doing right by you or the situation. And then the problem turns to if God is just and if God does punish wrong, then that means that he's going to also have to address the wrong that I've done. Uh Uh-oh. And if that's the case, then it turns God into this cosmic sheriff in the sky who's looking and booking. It turns God into this payday loan shark who may be lending today, but only at interest rates that I'll never be able to pay off. And the ideal of a God of judgment causes many people to stumble when it comes to Christianity and organized religion. And and let me share this with you. If you see someone who is struggling with guilt, if you see someone who is burdened down um, uh, by their mistakes, who feels as if God is a lawyer building the case against them, it is not helpful for them to hear a list of all the changes they need to make in that moment. Yes, sure, we all bear personal responsibility for our actions, but when we are struggling with guilt, we don't need to hear do more. Do more when we are struggling with guilt leads to shame, and and shame, while it may initially cause us to try harder, it will ultimately cause us to give up and say, why try? When we are struggling with the straightness, with the justice of God, we need to hear about how God is straight and yet bending at the same time. We need to hear about the grace of God. We need to be reminded of the gospel. You see, if you look carefully here, Peter does this wonderful thing. He, he's saying this wonderful thing on, on whose account is God being slow? Is it on account of the good? Is it on account of those who have a great record? Is it on account of those who have exercised self-control? Is it on account of those who hadn't got into what you've gotten into? Is, is it on account of those who don't fall as much as you fall? Did he say in here, did he say that he is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but wants everyone to get their lives together? No, he didn't say that. But what he does say is, he say he's slow for, for those who are undisciplined, for the pimp and the prostitute, for those those that know that they're a hot mess for the bottom 10%, for those who know that they overreact, for those that know that they underperform, for those that know that they don't always say the right thing, for those that know that they don't always show patience. It's not for the good, but it's for those who know that they're not good. Let's, let's put it this way. He says, if you recognize that, that you aren't good enough, that Jesus Christ lived and died for you, that if you rest in him, if you will stand in his righteousness and you'll stand in his record, then you realize this, that therefore you don't have to give up because Jesus already gave up his life for that mistake that you made, that thing that you think that you can't come back from, that mistake that you think everybody won't let you go from. He's already given up for it. You gain a perspective. 
that sees that God is not only straight and just, but that he is also graceful and bending at the same time. And that perspective allows you to see that the goal that God has for your life is not to collect a debt from you, but to pay a debt off for you. Now, who wouldn't want to serve a God like that? A God that pays your debts when all the rest of the world is looking to collect from you. The scriptures help us to gain a greater perspective of time. They help us to gain a greater perspective of the goal that God has for our lives. But there's one more area that I I would like to share with you this morning. And, and, And it's probably the hardest area to view correctly. The scripture changes our perspective of self. Often you hear people refer to the day that we'll meet God as judgment day. But we see here that Peter refers to it as something different. Peter refers to it as the day of the Lord. Now, why is this an important perspective to have as we prefer to to meet God face to face? Well, think of it in terms of a wedding day. Someone's wedding day is regarded as their day. When someone talks about their wedding being his or her day, uh, it means that they are the star. And everybody else around them understands this and realizes this, that because it's their day, that, that, that their needs reign supreme and, and everyone else is in the supporting cast and, and, and all the rest of us adjust our time schedules around them if we want to stay in good graces and, and, and everyone else adjusts, adjusts their, their finances around them because after all, it's their day. And the Bible says that nothing about us or, or the world will be right, will be what it's meant to be as long as the day is our day. The problem is every human being, because of the sin in our hearts, are, are prone to look at life like a wedding in which we are the bride and, and, and everything has to go according to our plan the way we've always dreamt it to be. So even when we become a Christian, most always we write Jesus in and give him the role of a supporting actor. And it's just not working. It is just not working. And here's why it's not working. It's because we were not built for that role. We were not designed to be the star. The world was not designed to center around us. And everybody knows it. We can sense it in every missed opportunity and every missed expectation that causes us. To want to give up. We don't need in our life a God who's a wedding planner for a bridezilla. <laughs> That's not love. What we need is the day of the Lord. We need Jesus Christ seen finally as a supreme in our lives. Now, it's not until we take the job of a supporting actor will will we really find ourselves? Will we really become pure? Will, will the broken things in us be mended? Will the crooked things in us be made straight? Will the powerless things in us be made powerful? But then there's this even bigger problem. And the even bigger problem is this, that there's nobody, not the greatest Christian that has ever walked this earth, that has had the correct perspective to make 
every day the Lord's day instead of their day. And therefore, as Paul states in Romans, all of us and all of creation yearns for his return. And if we don't always have it in us to have the right perspective and respect to time and respect to the goals that God has for our life and in respect to ourselves, then what do we do? Well, I want to close with a story of my friend Robert, which I believe beautifully illustrates what we should do in the meantime. We used to call him Trick Shot Rob because when he was younger, he lost his left arm in a horrible car accident. So when we played basketball as little kids, he only had the use of one arm. And that being the case, uh, Robert found himself at a huge disadvantage um, in many areas of life, but Rob and his mother still felt like God was going to use him to make an impact on the world. And so seeing the disadvantage that Robert suffered in sports such as basketball and football, for some strange reason, Rob's mother decided to sign him up for judo lessons. And even after knowing of Robert's situation, the, the master agreed to take him on as a student. And well, several weeks passed and Robert was going to practice every day, but he had only learned one move. And this went on for several more weeks until finally one day old Trickshot Rob shows up at practice because his mama kept bringing him and so he had to go. And he asked his master, when am I going to learn something else? Because all I've learned is one move. His master said, don't worry about it. You'll be okay. Just keep practicing your one move. And so Rob continued to do this, and, and he continued to go. And then one day his master showed up and said, hey, there's a tournament this weekend, and I've entered you into this tournament. And this came as a surprise to Rob because <laughs> he had only learned one move. But his master said, don't worry about it. You'll be okay. So Rob gets to the tournament, and, and he's in this first match, and, and he's going forward, and he's struggling a bit because, after all, he only knows some of y'all are quick. <laughs> One move. But he eventually wins the match with his one move, and he moves on to the next round where he's facing a tougher opponent. And while he's facing his tougher opponent, he is struggling quite a bit because after all, all he knows is one move. Come on with me. But he sees an opening and he seizes the opportunity, executes his one move, and he wins the match. And now this goes on round after round after round until Rob finds himself in the finals of this tournament facing the toughest and most experienced fighter in the entire tournament. And, and, and so right before the match, Rob goes to his master and says, hey, I don't know if I really have what it takes for this next match because after all, all I know is one move. Come on. And his master said, don't worry about it. You'll be okay. And so Matt... Uh, so Rob steps into this match and he's going at it and, and he is taking a pounding. And just when he doesn't feel like he can take another kick 
or another punch. He sees an opening and executes his one move and wins the entire tournament with just one move. Now on the way home, Rob looked at his master and he said, I don't understand how this could possibly happen. How in the world could I possibly win the entire tournament with just one move? Well, his master said, well, the one move you learned is actually the hardest move in all of judo to learn. (laughs) And he said, as a matter of fact, if someone knows that move, the only way to stop them is to grab them by the left arm. As I leave you today, I want to tell you that all throughout life, in whatever circumstance I have found myself, that there was one move that was without flaw and unstoppable, and that move was a dependence upon God. So no matter what is causing you to be discouraged this morning, Or what has you at the point of wanting to throw up your hands and quit? I want to recommend you relying on that one move. My friend Moses found that it works whether you are at the edge of the sea or in front of Pharaoh. My friend Job found that it works whether you're on top or in the city dump. My friend Jabez found that this one move works when just the sound of your name causes people pain. My friend Peter found that it works when he was sinking to rise no more. Gideon found that this one move works when it seems as if you're outnumbered. David found that it works when there's trouble in your own home. Jeremiah found that it works when no one will listen to you. Paul found that this one move works when you're in the shackles of the enemy. The three Hebrew boys found that this one move works when you're in the furnace of life. And Daniel agreed to the same thing when he was in a lion's den. And so while you might not be able to muster up the strength or the clarity of mind to always have the right perspective. My prayer today would be that before you give up, that we would see that we only need one move to survive. And that move is to depend on God. It's the same move that Peter was relying on as he wrote this letter on his way to be crucified upside down. And I know that you may not be able to see it in your own story right now. But if you look to your left and your right, there might be somebody on your row that would tell you their story. That would say something like they were sinking deep in sin, far away from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard their despairing cry. (laughs) And now safely they can say that they've been lifted. It could have gone different. It could have ended different. 
So many have stories of how it should have ended different. But that one move of steady relying on God, of being dependent upon the God of the universe and the promise of his word still works today as it did for all of my friends throughout history. And if you're here today, I want you to know that our first step in relying on God comes when we do something called stepping across the line of faith. And I don't know where you stood in terms of eternity when you walked into this room, but I want to give you an opportunity today to make that step. I'm going to pray in a second, and it's not the prayer that moves you across that line. It's not the words that I say or the order of the words that I say. It's just a prayer of thanksgiving where we admit that we're sinners in need of a Savior in order to have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. And so if that's where you're at today, then make that step today. And if you're here and maybe you have stepped across the line of faith, but you have not gone public with your faith through water baptism, then make today the day that you make that step. Baptism is the first and the easiest step of obedience that a believer makes. Because all God is asking is that we get wet for him. If that's where you're at, then make that step. And then you may be here today and and you may have stepped across the line of faith and and you may have uh, been baptized, but you are struggling with something. I want to let you know that life is hard. And following God is even harder. And following God in a sin-broken world is even harder. But that God never meant for you to do it alone. And that's why he has placed you in gospel community with people who want to surround you and love on you when you know that you don't have what it takes. Who will walk beside you. Right after service, we'll have prayer partners on either side of the stage ready to pray with you and begin that process. We have resources as a church that we want to connect you with. I am in therapy. Going to therapy is not a a sign of weakness, but a show of strength. Following God doesn't mean that you got it all together. Following God is a recognition that you don't have it all together, but you had a living Savior who came and paid the price for you so that you don't have to. If you're here and maybe this is not your season of life, maybe you're not in the midst of a storm or a struggle, but you know someone who is. Reach out and listen. It's really hard to be empathetic when you're talking, but not so much when you're listening. God does not mean for us to struggle alone. He has a plan for our lives that is beyond our perspective of time, of the goal, and of ourselves. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for 
sending your son to live the life that we couldn't live, to die the death that we couldn't die, to to pay the price that we couldn't pay all so that we can enjoy a relationship with you. Father, if there's someone who stepped into this room and and, and maybe they were on the verge of, of giving up, Father, use your Holy Spirit to press upon their hearts that that you still have a plan for them. That they are loved and they are cared for, that they're made in your image. Father, I, I pray that they would continue on in your strength and not their own. That those around them would, would, would come close and, and love on them and, and speak your word into their hearts. And listen to them where they are broken. And just be willing to sit with them. Father, if there's, there's someone here today that, that maybe they've been trying to earn uh, your favor through their own works, through their own uh, uh, acts and, and, and attitudes and, and doing it themselves, I pray that they would give up their fight and realize that that has already been won by our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. That in him they have everything they could ever want and need. And Father, as you send us out, let us be a people of a living hope. May we have a compelling story to tell of how things should have gone different and how they could have gone different. And how we were sinking with no hope until we met you. Let them see the way we love on our brothers and sisters as they struggle to follow you. And may that be a compelling apologetic for the onlooking world. To come and experience and be a part of something that they can't find anywhere else. So, Father, we love you. We praise you. We lift you high. Amen. As you go out from this place, the words you heard today, the songs you sang today won't change your life. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. You won't quit encountering trials and troubles. If you want a trouble-free, pain-free life, those are dead people goals. But what the scriptures do allow us to have is a living hope, a promise beyond what we experience in the immediate. If you need help, reach out, come talk to somebody. If you don't have enough strength to walk up uh, to one of the prayer partner stations, let the person next to you know. But don't go and struggle in silence. Don't isolate yourself. Lean into community. Continue to power up, pour in, and spill out. Have a great week.